Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Performance at AS Roma, Darcy Norman. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Vald Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest and most accurate way to measure hamstring strength in under 90 seconds. So the Nordboard gives the right information so you can make the right decisions for your players at the right time. So it's already in use by over half the Premier League uh, and dozens of other elite teams around the world. Uh, so the Nordboard testing system is the is on its way to becoming the gold standard for measuring and monitoring hamstring strength. So if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the Nordboard, you can visit Vald Performance, that's V-A-L-D performance.com to find out more. Thanks for tuning in to episode 89 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got Director of Performance at AS Roma, Darcy Norman. So it was great to get Darcy on and definitely lives up to the um, the hype about being a really, really nice guy and also fits in with the, uh, the stereotypical great Canadian guy. So in this chat, we discuss obviously everything to do with Roma, um, living in a foreign country, obviously what Darcy is and, and dealing with the uh, issues that come with that along with driving in Rome, which anyone that's been there knows is an absolute nightmare. So we also discuss his weekly structure uh, and the functional movement screen, which is a, an interesting topic that is, again, doing the rounds uh, and been discussed a lot. So we get Darcy's, uh, Darcy's thoughts on that one. But just before we get going with Darcy, we have the Sports Science Minute, sponsored by Coach Me Plus, where Doug McKenney uh, from Coach Me Plus is going to discuss culture uh, and creating buy-in uh, for a, a data collection environment, and that's both within the organ, well, the organisation, um, coaches, and players. So I hope you enjoy the little segment from Doug. Uh, again, very informative from the guys at Coach Me Plus, and we'll get straight into the episode after with Darcy Norman. Creating the culture for collecting information starts with how it benefits. Three areas, the organization in general, the coach and the players, and it actually has to be equal. It has to be a total commitment from everybody for it to be successful. And I I think that's the key factor to this. Um, When a sports performance coach or strength coach, physiologist, you know, bring it to the attention of the organization that we need to be able to collect this data so that we can make good sound decisions about recovery, about work, and how it will you know, create a winning environment on a, on a year-to-year basis. And one of the key things to that is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion how, how it's implemented. You know, every player is going to have to wear a heart rate monitor every day. And, you know, how are they going to react to that? And these, these monitor belts, you know, a lot of times the players will look at it from the standpoint of, well, it's uncomfortable. And, you know, well, we've seen, you know, over time that that's not an issue at all. They get used to it just like they get used to their shoulder pads, their elbow pads, their knee pads. You know, everything's, you know, it's just a process. And the process needs to be put in place effectively. Um, but as I mentioned, 
you know, it's got to be equal. The organization has um, has to look at from the standpoint of they're protecting their investment by monitoring this internal load. And that information on a day-to-day basis over a period of time allows them to make good, sound decisions in the present and the future. You know, how is this athlete going to get better? How is he going to help our team get better? You know, where is that line where, you know, we've got to intervene and help this guy recover properly so that he plays at his highest level? You know, if that stuff's presented properly to the organization, they see the value to it. And the same thing from a coach's standpoint. Now, it's not so much on, you know, it's more about winning and losing. You know, I what, I, what do I need to do to win? How do I implement this information that I'm getting from our sports science people, our strength and conditioning people? Well, you know, we're showing them what it's costing. Every drill, you know, every game, every practice, we have a cost factor to it. What is it costing our team? And when do we need to recover? You know, we're going to be traveling at these times and, and, and we're, we're going to be sleep deprived. So, you know, they have the ability to make good sound decisions as well but mostly at the level of, you know, practices, games, travel, um, not so much about decision-making about the player or the, or, or the, the team itself. Um, and from a player standpoint, uh, this is, I think, is an easy one because the player says, you know, how is this helping me? Well, we can give them information now. What is, what, where am I at now? You know, how well do I recover right now? How, how much is this costing me? You know, and where do I need to go from get, having this information? And then how do I get there? To get your weekly dose of applied sports science updates, go to CoachMePlus.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. That's CoachMePlus.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So really excited to get Darcy Norman on the podcast uh, this morning. So welcome to the podcast, Darcy. Rob, great to uh, have me. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. So just anyone that doesn't know who you are and kind of what you're doing in the minute, do you just want to give the listeners a little bit of uh, information on your background and, and what you're currently doing? Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from a little town in northern Alberta, Grand Prairie. Uh, grew up ski racing. That's what got me out of Grand Prairie. Uh, ended up down in the States college uh, racing. And then that's when I kind of when skiing. I realized my Olympic career was never going to happen. Um, started looking at other things I could do and got into athletic training. Uh, and then from there, uh, that was at Washington state university, got a biology degree as well as athletic training, kinesiology, physical education, um, came out, opened a P or a personal training practice, did speed camps and, and trained kids and worked at a few clubs in the Seattle area and then ended up going back to PT school and just the quest to, learn more. So I became a physio, did that, went through all my manuals and manual therapy stuff and had a clinic in Seattle for a little bit. And then really where the sports side really took off is when I joined, uh, with Exos in 2003, formerly athletes performance. And, uh, gosh, was with them 2006, made a brief move to Lake Tahoe, California, where I still have a place. Um, and, uh, so was doing more kind of consulting stuff and then ended up uh, taking a job with Jurgen Klinsmann at Bayern Munich in 2008 as a rehab uh, coach there, fitness and rehab coach. Um, so that was two years, ended up coming back to the States for family reasons and then had the opportunity to join 
the German national team. And so I had the pleasure of working with those guys up until, uh, gosh, the beginning of this year or June of, the, of 2015 when I uh, took on the director of performance role at uh, AS Roma, which is where I'm currently at. So in that time, um, you missed a tiny little, a little um, important bit, which was winning the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to nice to be on that boat with an oar in the water, and uh, yeah, phenomenal experience. Um, definitely, you know, kind of a life changer for me because it really made me realize what's possible from a team, culture, environment, performance, everything. Um, and I think, you know, people that have had the opportunity to be in those situations. Um, it makes you realize what's, what's really possible. And then it's, you know, keeping the fire burning to recreate it. Obviously there's a kind of simple answer to this, this next one, but what, what made the Germans that, that specific team and that specific maybe support staff so, so able to, to go that far, obviously better players is the, is the kind of simple answer. Yeah. Um, But from your point of view, um, what behind the scenes and culture and, what you kind of think, what kind of things you did. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I've said this on other interviews. Um, the, I think when we reflected back, you know, I think every department within the team would have their own two cents about it. Um, our reflection on the performance side, you know, we were talking with a friend and, and it was like, God, it sounded like you guys, uh, supply chain managed human performance. And if, you know, it's worth looking up the definition of supply chain management because it's, you can really take that business prospect and put it towards, uh, elite athletics. And, um, and it's been a process as supply chain management is a process. You know, you kind of figure out where you're at, you set up, uh, checklist systems to move you forward and then you use data to objectively give you feedback on how to how and where um, to upgrade things and you know the process for Germany and I can't even do it justice the I think started back in 2004 you know, when they weren't as successful as they thought. And I, it even started even before that with all their academies around Germany. Like one thing I don't think people realize that if you're trying to get noticed in Germany, I don't think you have to travel further than 30 kilometers. A kid doesn't have to travel more than 30 kilometers to a, like a DFB sanctioned, um, club that, you know, is, gets the kid in the system and moves them forward. So it's pretty impressive. And then, you know, in 2004, Jurgen really upgraded the mindset of the first team um, and the performance culture of the first team. And that just carried its way through with guys like Oliver Bierhoff, the, the manager who's been with the team, and, you know, Yogi Luf, who's now the head coach, but was Jurgen's assistant coach, has kind of carried on that tradition. And there's, I mean, a slew of people to name, that have all um, had an unbelievably that you know that open growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about, and, and um, yeah, just everybody rowing the boat in the same direction in unison as hard as they can, and and the players as well, like all good guys, you know, um, that were working hard and had a vision and a common goal and and um, got it done. So it was, yeah, it's phenomenal. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Euro goes and, you know, hope for the best for them. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> so just on that um, kind of international international scene, just to, just to keep on that theme, was, um, was to ask you about uh, the kind of physical aims of, 
um, the the small short breaks that you actually got with the players. Maybe it'd be like a, a pretty a week maximum uh, yeah. at times, maybe a couple of days. What was the what was the kind of physical aims for for them for them little short periods from your point of view? Yeah, for the national team, you know, you try and put guys into buckets, um, you know, just so you can manage the groups easier, um, and then you know individualize it from there. But you had the guys that played tons of minutes, um, so you're trying to give them a little bit of reprieve and get their bodies back in order, and you know, get them moving well and feeling good and feeling rested. Almost use the season as a big training uh, block, and then you know you're using that week to kind of super compensate them. So then they're to try and get them a little freshness for the for the the tournament. Um, and then for the guys that didn't have quite the minutes, you know, just kind of topping off the tank and getting their high speed qualities, um, back and, and going. And so just really short intensive sessions, um, and, uh, and, you know, getting their bodies moving better and from just being beat up and, and, so I think it was a combination of the recovery side with uh, with the mobility, stability, and and just cleaning up all their all their bad habits. Mm-hmm. So how, how much guidance would you get from from the clubs themselves? Um, you know, it's super variable. Some guys were really open to collaborating on information, and then some not so much. Um, and it's hard, you know, everyone's doing different testing. And so it's really hard to get a kind of standardized version of where you're at with things. And so, you know, we would functional movement screen them. We would, um, you know, not always would we do fitness tests. You kind of, you knew that guys were fit from being the season. So just through GPS numbers and, and quality of, of play, um, you kind of had an idea where things were at. We did, you know, during national team breaks, collect GPS data. So we knew and had some numbers on guys. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it was hard to, you know, take that information from teams and then, and, and do programming with it. It was really keeping, um, just a general program of the team and individualizing as we, as the guys came into camp and just speaking with them, um, of what their needs were and then, and then, uh, adjusting from there. So you mentioned the, the, the functional movement screen there, which is obviously a, a kind of a staple for, for Exos, but do you want, there's obviously so much, um, still so much conversation back and forth in regards to the FMS. Do you just want to give us a little bit of a, an insight into to your thoughts behind it and why you continue to use it or, I mean, not use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, the FMS, and it's not the holy grail. And I think some people, when they, you know, because of its popularity, people kind of took it as that and then start bashing it or whatever. Like, it just is what it is. It's it's giving you a snapshot into somebody's movements. And then from there, there's always, like, you watch somebody move and then you um, and then you pick some other movements you might have that guy try to see where they're at with stuff. So one, one piece leads to another, I, you know, there's no Holy grail and it's a, it's part of a system that I think for me has always worked and I've always gotten good results from. And so I kind of stick with it. And, um, you know, there's certain things like for football, I love the active straight leg raise. I, everything about it, the reasoning, if you talk with gray and Lee about what are the things that can go wrong with people of why the active straight leg raise um, scores are what they are. Um, it's, you know, it's more of a neurologic problem for a lot of people, not a physical problem um, where their body just can't turn on the muscles 
because of length tension relationships or compensation patterns or whatever. And so somebody, you know, like I've had guys that were ones on the FMS, if people are familiar with it, and within a week or sometimes one session, they become a three um, because it's just, it allowed you some information to make some adjustment in your programming to speed up their, their quality process. And, um, you know, and if, if, uh, if that's, if those are the results I get, I, I'm going to take it all day long. Um, and, and to a lot of times it just keeps everybody on the same page so you can have an, a more organized conversation to, to upgrade people, you know, when you are, bouncing guys back and forth and you're not always working with the same guys. Um, you know, you need systems and it, it, I think it really stepped up the plate and got the party started on the whole mobility, stability, functional movement, quality of movement. You know, it was one of the first kind of organized systems, I think that, that really got it out there and got it going. So, um, I love it. And, you know, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a great, great tool. Is it the, like I said, is it the end all be all? Absolutely not. Um, can you specify more for your environment? Absolutely. I think there's an interesting definition that Gray had, you know, when I spoke to him early on about it, um, was he was like, you got to be careful that you, you're looking at movement quality and not looking at a strength quality. So like some people say, oh, I want a single leg squat in my, in my assessment, my movement assessment. And it's like, well, now you're like a single leg squat for some people that it's not necessarily a movement quality. It can be a strength limiting quality. And, um, and so I think you have to be careful in your movement screens that you don't turn it into a strength limiting quality because then you get a different set of results back. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the big thing is as long as you have a system and a checklist and you can make educated choices from it, um, and it's repeatable, then I think you're on a good way. So what was the, what was the intervention that you, you put in place on the, uh, on the active straight leg raise? Yeah, just it's, um, yeah, whatever terms you want to use, like an RNT, you know, you're just basically getting the, 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 the core muscles to reactively engage. So the spine stays stable and then all of a sudden they're able to pick their leg up because they're not shooting a cannon from a canoe anymore. They, you know, they're lifting it from a platform that's got a solid anchor point. And so, and it's just getting their brain to turn it on. And so whether you use like high threshold, um, uh, high threshold, low threshold kind of terminology around it, um, or the RNT stuff, like it's all the same, same stuff. Um, it's just, yeah, how you frame it up. But, you know, a lot of times people's brains keep them tight. It's not that they are tight. It's just that your nervous system keeps you tight because it's saving you from yourself um, of, of moving. So just to, just to get back onto the kind of football specific stuff, um, we, we talked before and, and we, I've talked to guests in the past and we, like I've said to you, we, we kind of get into the, the doldrums of, of football and the kind of things that maybe are wrong with it or, you know, culture issues, blah, blah, blah. But we never actually get onto what you would do in now the ideal world. So that's what I'd like to kind of pose to you would, would be if everything was, was as it, as you think it should be, what would, um, what would you do in terms of strength training, um, in, in a football environment? 
Yeah, I don't know if I know what the ideal world is yet. I'm searching for it um, and pushing for it. I definitely think uh, football is traditionally under-trained in some respects. Some people are probably going to fall off their chair after hearing that, especially with you know what's been in the media lately. Um, you know, of just doing too much. I think there is a lot of you know erroneous miles put in and the quality of those miles could be cleaned up on the same note you could have a lot of other interventions that aren't being done like you know strength training um that we know through rugby actually is a great example of what what's tolerable um obviously you got to make it pertainable to the to the sport of football um but you know they run similar kilometers similar intensities as football and yet probably from a training standpoint and loading and weight room stuff, you know, their volumes are far exceed ours. And, um, you know, I think now in our current situation at AS Roma, our coach likes the weight room. And so we get in the solid two weight sessions. Well, I shouldn't say solid. We get in two weight room sessions a week that we're working on making them more solid. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we also have a potentiation session that we do, uh, the day before matches. So we're in the gym three times a week, um, in the season. And that is regardless of if we're playing two or three matches a day, we just periodize our, our weight, um, a little different, um, you know, where we still weight train per se, but we do more stability based lifts that helps reduce the, the weight and, and, um, stress on the system or alters the stress on the system, I guess. Um, so I think, you know, getting in a couple good weight room sessions a week, um, is gets us closer to ideal. And, you know, you could also do four weight room sessions and make them, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So guys aren't in there, you know, as the culture of the weight room, gets improved, uh, in football. Uh, but I think guys are slowly realizing and players are realizing that, you know, the weight room is an important part of the, of the, of the product and, and, uh, you know, strength equals power, um, and power equals speed. And I, obviously you need the technique and the translation of those qualities to happen, um, for, you know, that formula to work. But, that's, you know, you also need those three big components, um, from that, you know, like, and it all harnesses off, off their strength qualities. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we're just uh, tipping the iceberg and actually I got a trip, you know, we have the season wrapping up and, um, Ed Lippy and I, our head SC coach, we're heading over to Australia and, uh, the guys in Sydney have been uh, nice enough to open their doors and I'm really curious to, you know, that's one of the things I'm really looking for is kind of seeing how they do it and what kind of volumes and, and organization and structure. And, uh, and, you know, I definitely am aiming to bring some of that stuff back and, and see what we can put to, put to use in the weight room at, uh, at Roma. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there about the potentiation session on Friday. Do you just want to yep. talk to us a little bit about, um, firstly, what the session may look like and secondly i'm guessing that was not in place when you came in so how you got that kind of buy-in to to be able to get in the gym on a friday which is very kind of unheard of yeah yeah um so the um gosh we were kind of doing it you know so you kind of as a lot of guys know 
um, in football that your structure is very dictated by your coach. And so you're and at the end of the day, you're just trying to wrap your stuff in around what the coach is doing. And some coaches, you know, like the weight room and some coaches not so much. And so the, for the coaches that don't like it, you typically have guys coming in and doing individual stuff before. And so we'd write programs like game day minus one, minus two, minus three, you know, four and so on uh, weight programs. And we'd periodize those over weeks. And so when guys came into the gym, you know, it's like, oh, game day minus three, this is what I'm doing. Or this is a game day minus three plus one. This is what you're doing in the weight room today. And But you didn't have full team buy-in, right? Because there was guys that didn't like the weight room or didn't come in. If it wasn't imposed by the coach, then it wouldn't happen. Um, and so we were doing it for the guys that were into doing it and wanted it. Um, but then with our coaching change, this coach loves the weight room and he values the weight room, which is great for us uh, because it's allowed us to really kind of expand our abilities to try and improve the overall weight room culture of the team. And so, you know, he, he would ask us what our suggestions were for, doing stuff uh the day before the match and so we gave it to him and he had his thoughts and ideas you know from a a more generalist perspective like i want to feel the guys turned on and you know their muscles pumping and whatever you know the case may be and you know we took it as oh perfect potentiation time (laughs) and um so with that said we're also you know limited by logistics so you got a squad of 26 guys and trying to do a potentiation circuit in an organized way where it doesn't turn to absolute chaos. Um, and uh, we split up the groups. One group does, so we warm them up, get them going, you know, general movements, and then do some um, kind of running-based um, skill stuff, you know, single leg runs, A skip, B skip, that kind of stuff, just to get them turned on. And then we split them up and do uh, kind of a stability strength session um so just little um little games and um exercises where they're partnered up and they do different stability work stuff so for example if you're doing a plank and guys are head to head and they're holding a stick between each other in a diagonal pattern and one guy's pulling and one guy's um resisting and going back and forth or doing like a side plank, same kind of thing where they're facing each other and they're holding a stick with their up arm and pulling back and forth. And so, it, you know, it makes it a little competitive and they're trying to knock each other off. And so there's some fun involved. And then the other group is doing um, kind of a series of plyos. So and various um, uh, like rapid response plyos, you know, mid response, long response, very long response stuff. And, you know, some is more vertical based, uh, others like med ball toss where they, you know, go into a nice deep squat and try and throw the ball up and touch the roof. And then they can kind of, we have a, a sloping roof line in our gym. So they, you know, they can move up the line to, you know, challenge to get the ball to the roof. And so that makes it a little competitive, you know, lateral box blasts, that kind of thing. Um, just quick taps, rapid quick taps with their feet on another one. And then, you know, med ball throwdowns would be uh, another station. So, and, you know, we put some targets on the floor and, you know, little motivational things on the targets. So just getting, you know, just creating a good fun environment, getting them wound up and, and turned on. And then we go out, do some rapid response uh, footwork drills um, into some buildups and sprints and then, you know, get to the ball and get going. Mm-hmm. Do you just want to talk us through um, 
maybe a, an, an in session, uh, sorry, in week session. So you've got a, a Saturday to Saturday, and you're going to jump in the gym on a on a Tuesday. What would what would a, a session there look like? Yeah. So um, on so we say we play on a Saturday, we'd come in Sunday. So we don't do the day off. We come in and recover. So the guys that played are everyone lifts. And so everyone lifts together. It's just the guys that play do more stability limiting lifts and uh, for the lower body. And then the guys that didn't play do regular traditional kind of strength based lifts. Um, and then and that's on the uh, Sunday, Darcy. Yeah. 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 So that if we played Saturday, I mean, it yeah. just depends where your game falls. Yeah. Course, yeah, if, yeah. We, if, if, yeah. So we'd call that Sunday. Monday would be off. And then um, Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on the on the situation, typically on the Tuesday, we would do like a mobility stability. So they'd still come in the gym and we would kind of just spend some extra time doing more dynamic yoga, stability work, that kind of thing, and, and take a longer warm up and then go out on the pitch and, and do stuff um, or just do it out on the pitch. And then uh, the Wednesday would be another lift. And it would be more of a, you know, a traditional strength-based lift. And again, logistics being a limiting factor, we have three stations, three or four exercises per um, station. So, and it's kind of, you have a stability, a a mobility, um, and then a strength-based lift. And sometimes we'll have two strength-based lifts in the station just to get in, you know, horizontal pushes, pulls, vertical pushes and pulls, um, both for your upper body, lower body. And... um, and so, gosh, like a one station might be RDLs, um, um, a leg lowering variation, um, uh, kind of a bridging variation, and a toe touch progression. So we'll kind of wrap up some of the, you know, corrective e exercises in the station, and so that becomes the rest. So when they get to the actual strength move of the RDL, we can, you know, load you know, put some load on the bar and, and try and improve, improve some strength. And then, you know, another station might be, um, like a thoracic 90, 90 half kneeling quad hip flexor, uh, rear foot elevated split squat and dumbbell bench. And, you know, they'll go through that. Um, and then another one might be some pull-ups, uh, reach roll lifts, um, some lateral plank rows, and, uh, gosh, I'm just starting to throw out exercises now. <laughs> so, but just to give people yeah. an idea and then, you know, they're in groups of whatever, eight, nine guys and they just circle through and then we kind of man the lifts and help give better guidance on the prescription. Cause a lot of guys, you know, we're trying to get more weight on the bar and, um, and our guys don't, they don't have a big, uh, lifting acumen and so you know doing basic lifts are basic and and they can't sit well in their hips because they just don't have that training history and so this year a lot of it's been just upgrading guys movement capacity to be able to do an rdl and keep their back straight not flex and move through their hips and just coordinate the pieces so oh and i think next year we're our preseason is I'm really looking forward to it because I feel like you know we put a lot of work in this year on the improving the movement quality and just getting guys more familiar with basic lifts and and next year we'll hopefully try and up our game so it kind of you've mentioned a couple of times um about your stability limiting lifting 
and that yeah. brings me on to a, a question that was that was chucked at me on uh, on Twitter, and that was just clarify the mechanism on stability limited lifting, and maybe one or two examples. Yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of started creating the phrase when I oh, I guess one thing in the history I forgot about was I got into pro cycling for about five years. Um, so that was one of the things, and with cycling. Um, the guys, obviously you don't need to get stronger. You don't really even want to put on a lot of lean body mass. I mean, you need to get stronger pound for pound, but, um, it was really about training their nervous system. And so any weight they did put on, you wanted to make sure it was hundred percent guaranteed to contribute to the neurologic fatigue of what they had to do on a bike for thousands of reps over a six hour ride. And <clears throat> so with those guys and same thing, not a big weight room culture, I kind of started calling them stability limiting lifts. So basically you can only lift as much as you can stabilize against. So for instance, like a chop or a lift is you get guys and you see it all the time that, you know, for traditional lifts, they seem pretty strong, but then you put them in these kind of rotational push pulls or single leg balance push pulls or half kneeling position push pulls where they don't have something to brace themselves against and they look like you know weak kids because they can't you know they can't stabilize their core well enough or their pillar well enough to be able to generate enough force to push weight and then you have other guys right that have this you know I think just we would call it like raw strength like they're just these brick shit house guys that um I think that's a Canadian term, by the way. Um, <laughs> we have that over here as well. <laughs> oh, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that um, you know, just have this raw strength because they know how to turn on their pillar, their core, and generate force. You know, I use the analogy of shooting a cannon from a canoe, and you change that canoe into a concrete platform so you can abide by the first law of physics. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, but you need a platform to to generate that reaction from. And so like a uh, stability limiting lift, if you took an RDL, we might do a single leg RDL. And so, um, you know, to keep the quality high, they can only pick up so much weight because the balancing is the limiting factor and the weight can be enough to throw off that neurologic capacity of their balance. <clears throat> and so they can't pick up that much weight because they're going to fall over. Their quality sucks. So, um, so that would be an example of a stability limiting lift, uh, you know, uh, for an RDL for like a uh, bench, it might be a half kneeling one arm cable, um, cable press, but you're in a half kneeling position and you're trying to do a, you know, like a horizontal push. But again, if you can't put your pieces together, you're not going to, you know, you go to push the weight on the cable and the cable is going to pull you back and you're going to lose your balance. And so that way it allows guys that aren't used to picking up weight, you still get some benefit from the system and the process. Um, it reduces the amount of doms, right? Like any guys that work in football, if a footballer feels any kind of doms, it's a muscle injury. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it, it helps kind of get the process started and get guys bought in with, and get them feeling switched on, turned on, feeling better without that, you know, the, the delayed onset muscle soreness that, you know, you take one step forward and two steps back if, if too much of that, of the muscle soreness happens. So, um, yeah, it's, 
kind of a strategy I've used to get guys that aren't big weight room guys kind of on the program and bought into the program and realizing that the weight room can help them and uh, get them moving along. And then it, it, you know, from a, from a programming standpoint for the guys that play their lower, their lower body lifts or stability limiting lifts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that way it reduces the amount of volume. They still get something out of it. We're still moving forward um, and keeps everybody for the most part happy. Mm -hmm. So how, obviously another thing that's probably not, well, I'm guessing wasn't in place when you, um, when you came in, in into the position was the, was the lifting uh, in some capacity on the, on the, uh, on the Sunday or the day after the game. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of ways of, of kind of getting buy-in for, for them kind of sessions, but what was the, what was the crux of, of, of getting that or what you've got at the minute, which is, which sounds like, um, decent buying from the guys on the, on the Sunday or the day after the game. Yeah. Um, I think, you know what, it's just listening the guy to the guys and using their words against them. Um, because you just ask them, like, if you ask any football guy, they'll be like, Hey, when do you feel the most sore? Um, after playing and they're like, Oh, two days after I definitely feel it's hard to get going. I'm like, okay, perfect. You want that day off? Cause that would be the perfect day to recover. Um, and so, and then two, you know, we get guys to come in, we get them, get them in, um, to get their bodies back in order, you know, so they've been beat up from the game. So they get a good flush, good massage, get in the pool, get unloaded, get a, you know, a little bit of a lift in, um, upper body wise, and then they feel good about it. And then it's much better to just go home. So you got all afternoon to relax. Um, also, like after the game, guys can't sleep. So their sleep after the game is is shit. And um, sorry if I'm swearing. I, I apologize. Yeah, it's a family, fa- family, <laughs> family, family <show>. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, they sleep poorly. And so we might as well just come in and get some stuff done that's going to benefit them. And then they feel better when they go home and then they get a better night's sleep the next day. They have a nice, easy day relaxing at home or doing whatever they do. And then, you know, we come in the third day and get back at it again. And so it's actually the buy-in has been, has been pretty, pretty easy, I guess. I think it's just convincing the coaches. And I think, you know, our coaches have been, have been good about it. And, um, and you know, it, it really hasn't been much of a problem. And I, you know, the science shows like the swelling and all that kind of stuff takes 48 hours for your body to metabolize all that stuff and the, the trauma. And so, you know, we just get better. I think we get better quality sessions and it's just been a good rhythm for us. It also lets our staff kind of do a systems check of everybody and where we're at so we can start building the week out for those guys and you know if guys do have bangs and bruises we can start changing the week uh for them where if they go home from the game and then you don't see them for a day it's hard to take inventory on where everyone's at when they come back in and then it's a little bit of a shit show getting the party started so um so yeah it's always been something that has worked well for us so how, how does you how does your weekly structure and your side of things change if there's if there's two games a week so like a midweek Champions League game midweek cup game, um, yeah yeah how does that change? Yeah, I mean you're training seven days a week um, or playing training whatever everyone's in seven days a week so you play say Saturday <clears throat> recovery session uh, and the guys that don't play train you know so they go out and get their 
kind of high intensity minutes in um, to try and keep their tank topped off. And then, um, so in a Champions League week, you either have two days between games or three days between games, typically. And so if it was two days, um, we would recover, then you move again, get everyone going, and then you play the, you know, the, um, the next game. And then after that, you would recover again and uh, do more, I have to work back, do more of a mobility session um, on the, the middle day, the kind of game day plus two, minus two, um, do more of a mobility, stretch them out, really kind of open them up, almost a little bit of a recuperative situation and then you know they go out and get moving on the pitch a little bit and then you have your game day minus one scenario and then you're back playing again Mm -hmm. um and then you kind of follow that routine i i I, people have heard interviews with me in the past i have a which i think is pretty commonplace nowadays is i have kind of periodization set out for a two-day game week a three-day game week a four-day game week five days six days seven day eight day and what would be kind of the perfect solution in each of those. So then when we get our games in the calendar, I just kind of plug in the periodization for that game day situation or game day week. And then we just upscale or downscale volume depending on, um, you know, what, what's come before it. Nice. So just one last thing and, uh, well, two more things. Um, both came from from uh, from Twitter, like I mentioned before, and that was sure. uh, developing movement efficiency. Yeah, I know that's something you discussed in um, high performance training for sports. Um, do you just want to talk to us a little bit about that and maybe how that um, fits the the kind of football player, the football model? Yeah, it actually fits really well. I think I'll walk you through my 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 formula and see if you I can get you to buy into it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> by the new book. Um, <laughs> the uh, So it's great. Like, I'm definitely a practical guy, a hands-on guy. I, um, not, I'm not much of a bookworm. And it has to make, like, one plus one has to make two for me. I have a hard time jumping um, to some of these places that guys want to go. I have to, I have to take my steps to get there. And so in talking to coaches, football coaches, and getting them to buy into the system, I was always trying to think of ways to communicate with them more effectively that was a win for everybody. And I came to grips with this one kind of theory that I'll roll by and you can see if I, if I got your, got your buy-in or not. <laughs> so I would ask the coaches, what do you want on the pitch? What, like, what's your goal with these players? And they, you know, nine times out of 10, the player, the coach is like, yeah, I want explosive guys. I want fast guys that can do repeated explosive actions and, um, and do it, you know, for 90 minutes. And so I was like, perfect. So that's power in the science term, that's power output and power endurance. And so if you look at the formula, power equals work divided by time. And I think everybody thinks, and this also cycling really made me appreciate this, um, is, and also from the power meter based stuff is, you know, everyone thinks that you, to get more powerful, you got to do more work. And that's not the case at all, right? Like I can improve your power output by making you more efficient at what you're currently doing. And so like just based off Olympic lifts, right? Like that's half the Olympic lifts is the efficiency of the movement. And then what makes it efficiency is the speed at which you do it. Um, And so 
with if you take the formula and I if we tackle time first, right? So time is a factor of efficiency. And so and that gets broken down into skill, right? And football is a very heavy skill-based sport because you're playing with your feet. Um, and so you spend a lot of time at, with the ball at your feet, improving the skill of moving the ball. And so the coaches love to hear that, right? Because that puts their stuff as first priority. Like, yep, 100%. I'm saying I, we need to do stuff with the ball. That's great. And then the second piece is movement efficiency because we also know that you only spend 3% of your time with the ball. The rest of the time is getting from A to B to accept or deliver the ball. And um, so then it's movement efficiency. And so if somebody can just move better, you're improving their power output. And so that's where the movement efficiency stuff, their mobility, stability, all the skills of running, accelerating, and you know, just listening to the podcast the other day with Kevin Giles, which was fantastic. It's putting in all the, you know, what he was talking about with the uh, uh, Brisbane Broncos of just all this running, running efficiency. Because you look at some of the way these guys run, it's awful. <laughs> like they're heel strikers, and if they could just you know, turn their square wheeled bike into a round wheeled bike, <laughs> they would be flying. And so, and getting them to appreciate that. And again, from the movement efficiency standpoint, that's again, where kind of some of the stability limiting lifts and being more, um, you know, corrective -y, um, comes into play and, and getting the guys just feeling better. And so guys that don't have a big lifting history that gets them, that gets them bought in because they're like, yeah, I'm doing this stuff and I feel great. And then once they have these move movement patterns and they're, they're feeling it and they're understanding it, they're like, okay, now what, now what? And it's like, well, now you gotta, we gotta get over to the work side. <laughs> and so now we got to add load to that and we got to put some horsepower behind it, you know, and then you go over to the more traditional side of the work where you have the structure, the, you know, the neurologic system, the muscular system. And then for me, the cardiac system, um, is the last thing you train, you know, from a, from a specificity, uh, that's a bad way to put it. Um, everything you do has a metabolic consequence. So basically if you just appreciate what you've done to, for the skill acquisition, the movement efficiency and the, the, the work side, then all that had a metabolic consequence. Then you take whatever else you need from a metabolic situation and you put it you know you top off the tank at the end mm. and so that's how my kind of current framework is working and it seems to have worked well for me and and explaining it to coaches and and getting buy-in um and everyone you know everyone seems to be kind of happy at the end of the day and it i think it also abides to the the lack of training history in the weight room that a lot of these footballers have. And so it helps meet them where they're at and kind of carry them on. So I'm I don't sold. Know. I'm okay, sold. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So. <laughs> Let's write the book. <laughs> the book's been written, hasn't it? Is it? Yeah. It it, you know what? It absolutely has. And, uh, and you know, I'm, uh, as Dave Joyce can attest, uh, English is not my best subject. And, um, and and getting things down on paper but and that's it like it's just taking science kind of re applying it um repackaging it um you know taking a lot of stuff like brett bartholomew and nick in the communication side of things and just being able to tell a story in a clean way that gets people bought into 
you know, what's happening. So just one last thing uh, that came to me late in the day with regards to the, the Twitter messages, and that was um, self-improvement and and kind of fitting that in around your, around your busy schedule. You've obviously mentioned a, a little trip to uh, to Sydney, and that's obviously one way of um, that kind of self, ticks that kind of self-improvement box. But during a busy season, what's your kind of go-to resources for, for that? Yeah, guys like you. Um, yeah, the podcasts, uh, being in Rome, I spend a ton of time in traffic. I went from living in a town of 14,000 people, little mountain town, uh, and two stoplights, and my commute was about a 30-second walk down to the coffee pot um, to um, sitting in cars for 40 minutes one way or an hour one way, which to me is I want to shoot myself, but other people, it's kind of common, commonplace. So the podcasts have been massive, um, a massive help. Um, and then a lot of books on tape, Audible's my new best friend, as we were talking offline earlier, um, trying to get that. And then, yeah, the football season's tough because it's just um, – it's 11, 11 months out of the year. And so, uh, it's really hard to do con ed. And so the podcast, I'm trying to still figure it out, having guys like bringing in people, but you need a coach to give you a schedule more than three days in advance. So you can plan bringing people in. So that's, that's what we're working on for next year. Um, or just making it happen and kind of seeing where the cards roll. I think when people come to visit, you know, I get requests now and again for people to drop by. And so um, I think I'm going to start negotiating with them that if they drop by, uh, which we love, they got to give us a two-hour presentation or a 40-minute presentation on on something that they feel passionate about. I was going um, to actually mention about coming to Rome, but I think I may be busy now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that, just, that, just, that just controlled the volume of people coming Absolutely, through, right? Because, yeah, if it's, if it's one way, like, oh, yeah, I love having people in Rome. Pretty soon there's a lineup at the door to come and watch us train. Um, but, yeah, no, there's got to be a, a quick pro quo. So yeah, if you like exactly. giving presentations, yeah. you got a topic, then you're more than welcome to come visit uh, and give us uh, 40 minutes on what you feel passionate about. Yeah, uh, yeah Adelaide guys do exactly the same thing. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny. Uh, Joyce is fantastic. He already hit me up. He's like, hey, Dars, if you're going to come, do you want to give us a presentation on <laughs> so we can get some information? I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to steal that from that, that guy. So, um, And two, I got to give a big shout out to the Aussies. Um, uh, they've been absolutely – like being Canadian, a lot of people say Canadians are so nice. But I think the Aussies got us beat. And, uh, cause they've just been like, all the doors have been open. Sorry, fellas. Now everyone's probably going to be calling you and wanting to come and drop by. Uh, <laughs> but I do have to give guys presentations. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to the trip. I'm really kind of, you know, I'm, uh, I being grown up in Canada, not terribly familiar with rugby. Um, I know they do a fun, a bunch of phenomenal stuff. And, you know, I see all the YouTube videos and all that kind of thing. And um, I'm really looking forward to just walking through the door and observing and seeing how it all goes down um, and trying to trying to upgrade our culture in the in the process and, and move it forward. It's uh, yeah, I'm really I'm super psyched. So um, you have a great trip. Yeah, I think so. I got some good good hosts, Dave Joyce and Andrew Gray and and Rob from the Swans. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. No, you love it. Absolutely love it. So just to kind of wrap up, um, where can people keep in touch with, with what you've got going on? 
Yeah, um, I'm not much of a social media guy. Um, gosh, I should be, but I'm not. I think I got my head too buried in the sand to yeah. do that. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm at, at Darcy Norman. I tend to retweet. I'm not bright enough to come up with my own my own quotes and and you know kind of one-liners. Um, and then Facebook is a little more personal for me. I, it's kind of a closed loop yeah. um, just because of the press here in Europe. They take one thing you say and turn it into a, a disaster. So, um, <laughs> a yeah, drama. I just don't. Yeah, exactly. A drama, so yeah. My contribution has been to hang out, you know, and do some podcasts when uh, available and people want me to and, um, you know, presentations now and again. So yeah, I'm not not out there that much. I should be, but uh, it's just not enough time at the moment. No, that's cool. We understand. We understand. Yeah. Also, two kids. I think all these guys doing stuff. I don't know. Like Joycey, he doesn't have any kids, and that guy. It's I, that's my. Cheating. That's my exactly. That's my excuse. I got you know, thirteen year old, eleven year old. So I, whatever time I do have, I want to uh, spend with them and my wife, uh, and uh, you know, keep right, keep, so. keep keep them from leaving me. <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll just wrap up there and just say thank you very much for your time. But again, for, for the for the half an hour beforehand as well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and also for the, the recording part as well. So really appreciate your time, mate. Yeah, Rob, great job on everything. I love the podcast. Uh, keep it up, and uh, anytime you want to chat, I'm more than happy to make time. It's uh, yeah, good, good time. I know it's the first time we've chatted, but uh, I feel like we're old mates. So absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, when you come to Rome, let's get some coffee and beer and whatever else. And uh, yeah, likewise, if I hit the UK, I'll uh, definitely yeah, get in touch. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, thanks again for your time, and we'll, uh, like you say, we'll speak soon. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, All the best. Thanks, ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 89 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Darcy. So just before I let you go, I want to say a massive thanks to both Coach Me Plus and Val Performance for sponsoring the podcast today. So if you do want to keep up to date with everything that's going on in the podcast, the best place to follow me is Twitter, and that's at PaceyPerform. And all the episodes will go live on a Thursday morning, as they have done for the last two years now. Um, so follow me on Twitter, and that will keep you up to date with everything that's going on uh, and all the guests that are coming on. So hope you enjoyed, chat with, enjoyed my chat with Darcy. Uh, all feedback welcome, uh, and I will speak to you next week.